I am going to the 25th chapter of the book of Matthew for a few moments. And um, I just, I, I want to encourage you this morning in the Lord, because we, I, I say so many times, but it's, it's true and it gets more true every day that we're living in drastic times. And, um, you know, here's the thing about it. Uh, the adversary can take these times and use them as a distraction against you so that our focus is simply on what's happening in, in this world and, uh, and, and that can effectively take our focus away from the, the purpose of the church that God, uh, that God left uh, us with. So I want to begin in verse number 14. And I, I certainly, yeah, I mean, it, it would take um, several messages to cover this entire context. So I'm not going to... I'll make an effort to do that, but I want to talk to you about your job today, your your job. That's not the title. I want to talk about being a faithful servant, but I do want to talk about your job this morning uh, in the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus said in verse number 14, he said, for the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to every man. Somebody say every man. Every. According to his several ability and straightway took his journey. And he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same and, and made them other five talents. In other words, he doubled. Likewise, he that had received two, he also gained other two. But he that had received one talent went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's talent. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. And so they that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliveredest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. He also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliveredest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I'll make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Then he saith unto, uh, then, then he, he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art a hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not strawed. I was afraid, 
and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, here, here thou hast that is thine. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not and gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put put my money to the exchangers and, and then at my coming I would have received mine with usury. Take therefore the talent from him and give it unto him which hath ten talents. For every one that hath shall be given and he shall have abundance but from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath and cast ye that unprofitable servant into outer darkness there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth I'm going to stop there and you may be seated I know that is a lengthy a lengthy text and I will certainly not endeavor to preach on that entire text but I, I do want to focus on on the part of being a faithful a faithful servant a faithful servant i um i uh ordered a book yesterday that was recommended to me that uh is is a new production it it was quite intriguing to me to find that the author uh, of this book is only 37 years of age but in reading uh, the overview uh, of the book he was uh, he was born in uh, and raised in uh, what he called an evangelical an evangelical charismatic church but his observance of things in, in the world and the condition of the church was alarming enough to him that he felt the need to, to write a book of warning uh, to the body of Christ because in the, uh, in the overview, uh, he made some pretty, uh, pretty stout statements uh, there and having to do with the body of Christ and, and the world today having forgotten uh, the, the purpose, the reason why we, we are here. And, um, and he said the church uh, of today is looking at uh, our nation as our kingdom. And, and we're living like and we're, we're acting like that we're going to live in this nation forever. And, and we say, because, uh, because we are an affluent nation, uh, we, we, um, we have pretty much everything that we need and, and a lot of what we want. And we look at that as the, the blessings of, of God. And we, we're quick to say, you know, look how richly God has, has blessed us as a nation compared to, to other nations. And I, I was reading this morning, early this morning, uh, some news reports. And uh, one man was... 
uh, he was decrying all of these pro-Palestinian, anti-Israel uh, protests that that were uh, seeing you know give rise you know around the globe. But you know he said I, I don't see any protest in Washington. I don't see anybody on the steps of the Capitol because of all of the atrocities that are are going on in Sudan. You know people being murdered and. And uh, young women and, and girls, you know, being indiscriminately raped and the starvation that's there. He said, I don't, I don't see any protest about that. Uh, but yet we can protest a nation trying to defend themselves, uh, you know, from, from atrocities that has been committed against them. And so the, the, the idea and the, the purpose of the author was... And we, we as a church, we have, we have focused so much on our affluence and, and the blessing of God that we have, we have come to the place that we have forgotten that God uh, has tasked the church with, with a job, with, with an obligation in this world. And, and again, the problem, as, as I stated or alluded to earlier, it is the fact that uh, we're, we're seeing things happen not only in our nation but globally that, that we, that we have never experienced before. Now, sin has always been a problem. Sin's always going to be a problem un- until the final judgment. And, but, but the fact is we are seeing sin manifested in ways that we probably never thought that we would experience in, in, in our nation. It's not, it's not that those manifestations are something new uh, universally. Uh, it's, not, it's not that the manifestations uh, of sin uh, it is, is even something new uh, in, in the ways that sin can be manifested. Because what we're seeing you know, give rise in our nation uh, has, has, uh, has, has in, pa- in part been the downfall uh, of, of other cultures and other governments in times past. And I'm talking about even times past uh, the time of, of, of Christ uh, on the face of this earth. But, but here... In our culture, here in our nation, it, it has become quite a distracting factor. And so we, we look at a, uh, an accumulation of all that's going on from, you know, from, from protest to um, looting uh, to uh, the, the influx of uh, of illegal uh, immigrants coming into our nation unrestrained uh, to the way that our government acts and, and what they're doing and what they're not doing. And that becomes a distracting thing. And, and if we're not careful, we, our attention is going to be on the things that's happening that we don't like. And, and it's going to take our attention 
and our focus away from the fact that there are millions of people in this world who are lost, whose only hope, as we heard this morning, it is not in some, uh, in some national defense endeavor. Uh, it, it's not in some government uh, entity binding themselves together and working on the behalf of a populace. There, there are millions of people in the world who are lost and facing eternity whose only hope is Jesus Christ. Amen. And here we are. We, we can be distracted by all of these things and in essence forget the very thing that Jesus tasked the church with. Amen. Now, I understand that we, you know, we, we, we as, as uh, national citizens of, of the United States, we, we need to be concerned about the status of our country. I get it. I get it. That, that's why Scripture says that we need to pray for those who are in authority. We, we need to pray that God would somehow be able to influence their minds and their thinking and their, and their actions. We, we are to pray for the peace of, uh, of governments and cities and counties and, and, uh, and, and states because, uh, because it, it's a proven fact. You know, the better it goes you know, in, in the realms of government, the better it goes for God's people. You know, it's just kind of like the rising tide lifts all boats. You know what I'm saying? But, but, but the fact is that, that there is a problem. And, and, and maybe it's a good strategy by, by the adversary to cause these things to be distractions. Now, I do believe in, in my reading and studying of various materials. I, I do believe that in the, in, in the last days in which we most definitely are, that distraction, a distraction of the church could be the most effective tool that the enemy uses against us. Because if I can forget, if I can forget the, the, the job of the church, if I, can, if I can tend to be distracted uh, away from my individual task and, and what God has commissioned me as an individual to do, if I can be distracted away from that by some national crisis, by all of the craziness that's going on, not just here but also abroad. If I can be distracted from that, then I'm going to tell you, there's going to be a man or a woman out there somewhere that is not going to receive from God what God has willed for them to receive. And, and there's going to be that person there, there that can be touched by the individual members of the body of Christ that, that's going to remain untouched if we can just forget what God has tasked us to do and and the Lord in this 25th chapter of the book of Matthew was was very emphatic about the things that happened at the time of the coming of Christ in fact in in the first part uh, of chapter 25 
you're going to find the parable of the ten virgins. The wise virgins and, and the foolish virgins. And, and then even without ex, explanation of that, you're going to find the text that, that I read to you this morning, the parable of the talents. And, and, and then the uh, getting on down, Jesus begins to talk about the spiritual investments that He Himself has invested into individual members. And, and, and that's what it's all about. And when, when Jesus uses this parable here and, and He says the kingdom of heaven is as of man traveling. He's drawing a comparison here. He's not, he's not saying the kingdom of heaven is a man or, or, or that, that, that somebody has gone away and, and has left things with you and I. What the Lord is talking about is Himself. The kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. Can I tell you in verse number 14, Jesus is speaking of himself. He's speaking of himself and the kingdom of heaven. That he's left. The kingdom of God. That he left in this world. Amen. Can I tell you? The kingdom of God is the body of Christ. That he left in this world. To do a job. Amen. Now what he said was this. The kingdom of heaven is. As, as a man. Traveling into a far country. Who, who called his own servants. And he delivered Unto them his goods. I want you to notice the words of Jesus that Matthew records here. He's saying that, that, that those servants whom have been called has been given. And what has been given to them has been the goods of the master. Amen. Now, let, let, me, let, let me just say this. The Lord's goods... That he has given to every member of the, of the kingdom are the gifts, they are the talents, and they are the responsibilities that God has given to men. God, the Bible says, Paul records it in Romans chapter, or, or 1 Corinthians chapter 12, when he talks about the spiritual gifts being given to, to, to men and women. They're given to every man, the Bible says, severally as he wills. Amen. So the context of this message this morning is not the spiritual gifts that God gives. That's another thing altogether. But I'm going to tell you right now, every one of you have gifts that has been given to you by God. Every one of you have talents that have been given to you by God Himself. And every one of you have been given responsibilities by God Himself. So each servant receives all of the gifts that are needed to, to accomplish the task that God has given to each individual member of the kingdom of God. Paul, Paul said in Romans chapter, uh, chapter 12, and I want to read here, chapter 12 verses 4 
through verses 9. He said, For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body and Christ, and every one members of another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. Whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Or ministry, let us, Paul said, wait on our ministering. Or he that teaches on teaching. Or he that exhorteth on exhortation. He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence. He that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. What Paul is saying here in so many words is that what the responsibility that God has given to you as an individual member of the body of Christ, that's got to be your focus. Amen. I said that has got to be your focus. You must focus. Listen again to what he said. He, he said, if, if, if you're, uh, if you're a, to prophesy, you're to do that according to the proportion of faith. In other words, you do that according to the proportion of faith that you have at a particular time. Or, or ministry. Let us wait. That word wait is not talking. In fact, it, it's an insertion. It was not there in, in, the, in, in the, the manuscripts that was used to interpret the English New Testament. But what is there is not that you just sit down and just wait for something to happen. What Paul is saying, if you've got a ministry, you're to pay attention to that ministry. You're to use that ministry. You're to be productive in the kingdom kingdom of God with that ministry. If you have any job to do, Paul said, that's your focus. That's what you're to focus on. Not the problems in this world. Not all of the things that are, that are happening in, in this nation. But if you have been called to any form of ministry, Paul said, that's what you need to be doing. That's got to be the focus of your attention. That's got to be the focus of your life. You are to wait on that. You're to pay attention to that. Or if you're teaching, you've got to wait. You've got to focus on the task of teaching that God has called you to do. That's what you focus on. I'm going to tell you something right now. I'm going to just, I'm not trying. I said I want to encourage you. And I want to encourage you. But if you've got a responsibility from God to do and you're not doing it, you're out of the will of God. You're not operating according to, to the will of God. You know, and, and somebody says, well... You know, I, I don't know. I need to know what the will, the will of God is. 
Amen. You know, it, it, you, it, it, there's one prayer that you need to pray to understand the will of God. You pray for the, but the will of God that I find in Scripture is not just something I know, it's something that I do. I do His will. Amen. I've got to know His will. But it's not good enough uh, according to the Lord uh, just to know the will of God. Uh, He's given you a job. Uh, He's given responsibility. He's given talents. Uh, He's given abilities to be used in this world for the kingdom of God. Amen. Amen. Somebody said, well, I'd teach if I had somebody to teach. When you wait on your teaching, as Paul said, you don't just sit around and wait for somebody to show up and say, I need some teaching. When you wait on that responsibility, you're actively engaged in finding somebody to teach the Word of God. Amen. And finding and gathering somebody. Amen. That needs to hear something from God. If it's exhortation, he said, then you find somebody. You wait on that. Amen. You don't sit around and just wait for something to happen. Wait for somebody to show up. Paul said, no. This has got to be your focus. It's your responsibility. It's got to be your focus. I had a conversation with somebody just recently. And uh, uh, somebody was trying to get me to adjust, you know, change my, my schedule and, and all of that kind of stuff. And they said, well, you're just too busy. You're, you're just too busy. And I said, too busy? I, I'm not busy enough. Well, you're, you're, you're having to work a job. You're you're pastoring a church. You, you know, you oversee and teach Purpose Institute and, and no telling what else. And I said, you're, you're right. Well, somebody else could, could do some of that. I said, they could, but here's the problem. They're not. And because they're not, somebody's got to do it. Be, because they, they are not. And it kind, kind of goes back, and I don't know if I told you this recently, but, uh, but I told this person, I said, I remember years and years ago when I was district youth president, I was in a meeting, I can't remember if it was in St. Louis or General Conference, and, and Jack Cunningham, who at that time was the, was the uh, general home missions director, he, he got up in a meeting to, to all of the youth presidents and he read a letter. And that letter came from a 93-year-old man that was pastoring two small rural churches in, in the northern Midwest, if I remember correctly. And he wrote, he wrote a letter and he, uh, to, to Brother Cunningham. And he said, he, he asked this question, Is there not somebody, is there not a younger man than myself that could get a burden for the lost people in rural areas? He said, Here I am, 93 years old. 
old. I'm pastoring two churches. I pastored the closest church to me and, and I preached there on Sunday morning. I leave that church and I drive 150 miles and I preach there on Sunday night. I leave there and I drive 150 miles back to my home and at my age there are many nights I pull up in the driveway of my home and I am so exhausted that I can't get out of my car and I spend the rest of the night in my car. Is there not a younger man who could get a burden? And I, and I told this individual, I said that, that letter... That letter that was read to us over 30 years ago. I said that letter still haunts me today. Because if there's a 93 year old man out there that was doing that. Amen. One day I may find myself standing before God. And God pointed to that 93 year old man. And said I'm going to tell you. At your age if, you could, if he could do it. What's wrong with you? If he was able. And he had the willingness. And he had the burden. And he had the desire if he could do it at 93 why can't you do it at your age I said that's why I do what I do because somebody read to me a letter and the words of that letter has never left my mind is there not somebody who has more strength than I but I'm going to tell you something right now. If there's a 93-year-old man that undoubtedly by now has gone on to his reward, I'm going to tell you something right now. Amen. Nobody under the sound of my voice has an excuse to not wait on your responsibility that God has tasked you with. Amen. Not one of us. The servants. The servants treated the Lord's goods differently. All, all of these people that I read to you, they had different responses to what God had entrusted unto them. We, we need to understand this morning that, that the gifts and callings of God and the responsibilities that God has placed upon us uh, belong, belong to Him. They don't belong to us. That they belong to, to Him. These are things that He has entrusted into our care. He's, he's placed them in our hands. And He's entrusted that to us. Amen. Can, can I, and, and I hate to use so many personal references. But that, that's the reason that I read and study the way that I do. And the, and the time and the hours that I spend in this endeavor. I understand what God has placed in my hands do not belong to me. But, but they belong to Him. And He has trusted me with that. And here, here's my thinking. I don't want to violate the trust that God has placed in me. That's why I've got to pray. That's why I've got to read and study the Word. That's why I've got to research the etymology of words. That's why I have to read history and get the context of things that God would need and would God to have to say because I understand what He has given me is not mine. It belongs to Him. He's just trusted me with that.
He's trusted me with that. That same individual I was having a conversation with said, well, sometimes maybe you, you, uh, you study too long. And I said, study too long. I said, you know, I said, I, I really like it when I'm hungry. I mean, I'm really hungry. And my wife comes in and says, hey, I think we're going to have meatloaf, mashed potatoes, green beans, and corn, and, uh, and, and some good old garlic bread. I said, you know, when I'm really hungry, I like that. That encourages me. That gives me something to look forward to. But when I'm really hungry and I need strength in my body, I said if she walks in and says, well, I hope you weren't expecting too much this evening because all, we got, all we're having for dinner is grilled cheese sandwiches. I said I'm going to be dejected. I'm going to be looking for something that can put strength in this body and feed this body what it needs besides a grilled cheese sandwich. And I said, I'm going to tell you something right now. Every time I go to the house of God, there are people there that need something from God. There are people that need a word from the Lord. There are people that need encouraging. There are people that need exhortation. And yes, on times there are people there that need the rebuke of the word of the Lord. And it's my responsibility to prepare it. It's my responsibility to pray and to search and to research and, and to notate. Amen. I said, I, can't, I cannot, I cannot. With hungry people that embrace in that place, I cannot get up and say, all I've got today is nothing more than just a spiritual grilled cheese sandwich. I, I said, I can't do that. I've been entrusted with much greater than that. God's entrusted more than that to me. So, the servants treated the Lord's goods differently. There were two servants who were responsible. They were very responsible. They, they, they went to work immediately. They didn't lose any time. They began to serve quickly. They were faithful. They were diligent. They used their abilities and energy immediately. They exerted themselves. They expended their energy and effort to use what the Lord had given them. I want you to notice something here. The less gifted servant worked and labored as much as the more gifted servant. Didn't matter. That kind of nullifies our excuse that somebody else is more qualified. They, they can do it better. And it, this is one of the things that I hear that as a preacher and a pastor and, and, and whatever else that I may be, you know, it is to hear people say, well, I can't let brother so-and-so do that. Well, I can't do this. Let sister so-and-so do that. She was more qualified. 
But in the parable that Jesus Jesus gave here, there, there were people that He entrusted things with that belonged to Him. Some of them were more qualified than others, as, as the Scripture has indicated here. But that did not nullify the responsibility of, of the less qualified or the less talented just to be able to sit back and say, oh, oh brother so-and-so can do it. You know, he, he, he's got the talent. He's got the skills to do that. The, the less qualified labored just as much and just as hard as the more gifted. He didn't have as many gifts, but he did exert the same initiative, the same energy, and, and the same effort. I, I notice the words that Luke records in Luke chapter number 12 and verse number 48. Luke said it here, and in the context of, of what uh, Jesus is saying, uh, the context is talking about the stewardship, the stewardship of life, the stewardship. And, and Jesus said in verse number 48, and I'm going to read that verse only just for the sake of time this morning, but he said, but, but he that knew not, Verse 48, and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. For whomsoever much is given of him much shall be much required. And to whom men have committed much of, of him they will ask the more. What Jesus is saying is this, the more he's given you, the more he expects out of you. Amen. If he has given you a lot, he's going to require a lot. And then Jesus Jesus turns around and, and He says it like this. He said, men are the same way. We expect a lot with, with very little responsibility. You know, when I, was, when I was a boss in the job force, I had people, they expected a whole lot from the company. But they wanted little responsibility in return. Oh, they wanted to make the big paycheck. But they didn't want added responsibility to that. And Jesus is saying, if men do that, what do you think I do? If I give you a lot, I expect a lot out of you. And I'm going to tell you something right now. Jesus has been, more, has been, has been better to every one of us that, than what we're producing for Him. I said he's been more, he's been better to every one of us than what we are producing for him. Notice that all of these people, except one, was successful. Each one gained and doubled what the Lord had given. Each servant's gift bore fruit in pr proportion to, to his gifts. The one given more, that's the five talents, bore more. He bore ten. The one given less, that's the two, bore four talents. Both were equally successful, doubling what the Lord had, had given to them. Amen. Which reminds me of what Paul said to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 
chapter 4 and verse number 2. Moreover, he said, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Do you hear what Paul is saying? It's a requirement. If you are a steward of the things of God, if you are a steward of the truth of God and the gospel of Christ, if you're a steward, it's required in you that you be found faithful. Every one of us are stewards of the kingdom. Every one of us have been tasked with responsibilities in the kingdom of God. I'm asking every one of us today, where do we stand this morning? Where's our focus? Where's the focus of our attention? Do we find ourselves constantly arguing about governmental affairs to everybody with whom we come in contact? Are we always focused on the things that are not right in this world to, to, the, point, to the point that we have forgotten that God has given every one of us responsibilities in His kingdom? I know... It's easy to be distracted. Listen, I get it. I get it. That, that's why I limit my time on Fox News or any other, other, other media source. I, I look at that just long enough to get, a, get an idea of what's happening in our nation and what's happening around this world, and, and that's it. Because if I get involved with that and, and that dominates my thinking and it dominates my words and it dominates my communication with other people either inside or outside of the church, then I have become distracted from the responsibility. So when it comes to prophesying, I don't do that in the manner that God expects me to do. So that if it is ministry, I don't wait on my ministry. I, in other words, I'm not developing that. I'm not building that. I'm not, uh, I'm not utilizing that which God has, has blessed me with to be able to advance in that cause. I, I, I've forgotten about all. If it's exhortation, I, I don't focus on exhortation. Amen. Somebody told me the other day, you know, I, you know it, 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 at Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving Day, we had couple of our kids you know at home and and we're we're sitting there and I walk in the house and our our son is there and, you know he's sitting on the couch and he's focused on his on his device but yet he's got the he's got the big screen on some kind of navy seal documentary and I walked in and I said uh which one are you, are you watching? He said, both of them. I said, that's impossible. He said, I'm multitasking. I said, that's impossible. He said, no, it's not. I said, scientifically, 
it's impossible to multitask. Because it is a proven fact when your attention is divided, something is not getting what it needs. It, either your social media is not getting it on your phone or your documentary is not getting because you cannot focus on two things at one time. It is scientifically impossible for you to multitask. My, my point is, if we are the body of Christ and we become distracted and our focus is on everything that's happening in this world, then we tend to forget the responsibilities that God has tasked us as the body of Christ. Amen? Amen. And I'm going to tell you, He's called every one of you Every one of you have a responsibility from God. See, the burden of responsibility is not just to, to the preacher. Sometimes I complain. I, I, mainly I, I complain to my wife. And I, I put on a good face and, and uh, I get behind the pulpit and I'll talk faith and I'll preach faith to the best of my ability. I'll, I'll preach healing with every ounce of strength that I've got and stand in need of healing in my own body. I'll preach faith with everything that I've got, even though at that point in time my faith is only about this strong. I'll preach the joy of the Lord when I wonder where mine is. I'll preach, I'll preach successful living for God when I think I'm the biggest failure on the face of the planet. Sometimes I complain to my wife. You know, I say I get I get up and I'll I'll teach Sunday school for better part of an hour. I'll take just a few minute break. I get up and lead worship, and I'll follow that with a message. So from start to finish, usually I'm two and a half to three hours constantly, 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 constantly. And I say, I stand there racked in pain. I stand there just as, as distraught sometimes as can be. But I'm there. I'm there. Why? Because I understand I have a responsibility. And I can't be distracted from that. So where there's pain in my body, I'm going to worship God with everything that I've got. Amen. When my body is screaming to sit down. Amen. I told my wife last Sunday, I said, I may make it through Sunday school without having to sit down because of the condition of my knee. I may make it through Sunday school. I may preach the first sermon I've ever preached sitting in a chair. I said, but I'm going to tell you what, I'm going to be there. I'm going to give it everything I've got because I have a responsibility from God. And I can't be distracted. Let's stand this morning. And, um, uh, we, we have talked about that before. This, this part of it is kind of a recap of uh, Romans chapter 1 where uh, Paul talks about every human being has, a, has this internal sense of, of the existence of God. Uh, to the degree that um, 
nobody's going to be able to stand before the Lord and uh, with with uh, with an excuse, Paul said. And so we looked at uh, several verses of Scripture there in, in Romans chapter one, and we looked at some definitions uh, of, of terms there, and. Uh, then we looked at the denial of the existence of God, uh, how that the psalmist in Psalm 14 once said that the fool uh, has said in his heart that there is no God and that they are corrupt. They've done abominable works and, and there is none that, that doeth good. Now this, this last phrase in Psalm 14 and 1 uh, if you'll notice, uh, uh, Paul quotes uh, this and uses this last phrase uh, in uh, in the book of Romans, where uh, he talks about there uh, there is none that is good, there there's none that doeth good, uh, no, not one. So, uh, so even Paul goes back and picks up uh, part of what the psalmist is saying. And um, and so we 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 looked on down at the denial of the existence uh, of God, and even looked at some other comments from Romans chapter one and verse number eighteen. Then then we looked at the heading, the internal witness in believers, and uh, uh, how that uh, uh, if if you have the the Holy Ghost. Uh, there should be in in us. There should be an enhanced um, sense uh, of the existence uh, of God that the rest of the world, or or that the world, uh, does not have. And so, uh, this this is in the deepest and innermost part of our beings. And so, uh, so then uh, come down to the last uh, heading there that uh, I, I almost started to cover last week, and and then Brother James said no, cover it next week, and he said because I got to go, <laughs> and I was thinking where are you going? You're you're off on Wednesday nights now, but it was Tuesday night. When we did this last week, so uh, so we're going to cover this last part of it uh, this evening at the request of Brother James. So <laughs> and so so now we we're going to look at evidence uh, in Scripture and in nature of the existence uh, of God. And uh, and again, we you know we can look at the. I think I stated this last week when we start talking about the different attributes of God, and we start looking at some of the character of God. You know, we can we can look at that and, and study it, uh, but we we need to know uh, first and foremost that God does exist. And um, you know, so it doesn't it doesn't do us a whole lot of good to 
study the character traits and the attributes of God if we have trouble believing in the existence of God. And um, we, we have to be very emphatic. Uh, he that cometh to God must believe exactly that he is, is that he exists. We have to believe uh, that God exists in order to be able to, to come to him or to approach him. So, so let's look at uh, this last heading here, evidence in Scripture and nature. And uh, the first statement here you see is pretty emphatic. It's straight to the point. The Word of God is truth. Amen. Everybody believe that? Amen. The Word of God is truth. And it being truth, the Word of God is the final authority of everything. You know, and uh, if we can't, our uh, people cannot believe or accept the fact that the Word of God is the final uh, authority of everything, it's going to be hard for God to even be able to help people in their time of struggle and need and uh, if, if they don't believe that the Word of God is, uh, is final. And, um, you know, His Word is so final that even Jesus said, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my Word shall not pass away. And so, uh, so we, we look at the heavens and all that, that exists in the heavens. We look at the earth. And everything that is, is on the earth and in the earth, and we can understand through the Word of God that it's going to pass away. There there's, is coming a time that there's going to be a new heaven, the Bible says, and a new earth. All right? And, and we, 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 we sometimes think that, uh, have the idea maybe that this, this earth, you know, is going to last forever, but it's not. It's going to be destroyed, and, and and there's coming a new one. But again, when Jesus was expounded on the surety of the Word of God, uh, again he did say, "Heaven and earth shall pass away, but but my words, my words are 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 going to stand." So the Word of God is truth, and internal. Evidence bears witness to this. And when I, when I say internal evidence, I'm talking about the internal evidence of Scripture itself. All right? The internal evidence, the evidence inside of the Word of God bears the fact that the Word of God is truth. So Scripture proves Scripture. And uh, you, if you want to... Uh, if you want to understand the Word of God or, or things in the Word of God, let, let Scripture prove Scripture. Scripture will also interpret Scripture. And so, but, but Scripture, now look at this next statement because it can, uh, uh, it, it can be a controversial statement. So, so look at it. But Scripture nowhere 
tries to prove the existence of God. Scripture assumes that the reader is going to believe in the existence of God. So Scripture nowhere tries to prove that that God exists. So even in the beginning of written Scripture, there is no attempt to prove His existence, but it immediately tells us what He created. So I want you to look at Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 1. Let's see what Scripture says here. Genesis chapter 1, verse number 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Pretty simple statement, isn't it? It it does not say uh, in the beginning, you know, God exists and, and this God that exists created the heavens and the earth and the heavens and the earth is proof of the existence of God. It says nothing even close to that. Simply says, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. So, if one takes Scripture as being true, you have to believe that not only does God exist, but He created the heaven and the earth. I don't remember if we made any comments about this uh, last week, but uh, there, there is no such thing as evolution. Amen. You know, there's no such thing as uh, some things just evolving and coming into existence. And, you know, I, you, we, we, we hear and we've talked about what's taught, what is termed the Big Bang Theory. And I heard one man say, I do believe in the Big Bang Theory. He said, I do. He said, I believe God said it, and bang, it happened. Well, if that's the way you want to want to term it, then maybe there's something to the the Big Bang. If God said it and and it happened, and we do know through Scripture that that's the way it did happen. Right. I'm not talking about the necessarily a bang, but uh, and 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 God said, "Let there be light," and there was. Now, there, there is a. Uh, a, a version of Scripture, uh, of the Bible, uh, that I, I don't know if you, you have a copy, uh, but it's called The Message. It's really not a version of Scripture. It's really a paraphrase uh, of Scripture, and sometimes it's quite comical. And, and then at other times, it, it, makes, it makes a lot of sense, and... But I do like what what the message says when uh, about the, the the creation of God because the the message says it like this: 
And God said, let there be light. And there it was. In other words, his paraphrase that King James says, and, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. And, and Philip says in his paraphrase, and God said, let there be light. And there it was. And so his, his paraphrase is really carrying with it the idea or the connotation that as soon as God said, let there be, it came into existence. And so, and, and so, uh, so again, if one takes Scripture as being true, you have to believe that not only does God exist, but He created the heaven and the earth. I saw this little cartoon today. Uh, because it's you know weather's getting a little cooler and and uh, and and it's getting to be even though just last week was was Thanksgiving it's getting to be the the Christmas season in the minds of people. I saw this little uh, little cartoon today was uh, snowmen two snowmen you know and they're sitting there and 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 one one. Uh, snowman, you know, said to the other, he said, you know, he said, nobody made us. He said, we were just a bunch of snowflakes that just all of a sudden just came together. What, what he was talking about was we, we just evolved. We just came together. But, but the fact of the matter is that everything that exists, God created. Amen. God created it. So if one takes Scripture as truth, not only does it speak of the existence and the creation of God, but the acts of His creation tell us much about His nature. This is kind of what Paul was alluding to in Romans chapter 1 when he talks about uh, you know, every man uh, you know, has this internal knowledge or sense of the existence of God by and you you look around you know at the things that were were made because with the things that were made and I believe that Paul is talking about the 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 natural creation of God that even in that creation uh reveals his eternal power and Godhead or or deity, the word Godhead simply meaning deity, and and Paul says that uh, and uh, and let, let me not say anything about that because that's coming up. But uh, but but let's just rest in the fact that the acts of His creation tells us much about the nature of God and. So the created world also gives abundant evidence of the existence and nature of God. And the, the scripture that I was alluding to here is Romans chapter 1 and verse number 20. So if we look at that, Paul said, For since the creation of the world, His, talking about Christ or God, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. This, I'm reading this out of the New King James Version. Being understood by the things that are made, 
even His eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse. Now, let's, let's look at this for just a moment here. Because Paul talks about the creation of the world speaking of something here. The things that are, that are made. Uh, so since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes. He's saying, Paul is saying there, there are things about God. There are attributes about God that you would not be able to see. Why would you not be able to see certain attributes of God? Because God is spirit. Amen? And we know that according to Scripture, a spirit does not have flesh and bone. And, and so, so Paul is saying that there, there are attributes that you would not be able to see about, about God... But now they are clearly, somebody say clearly, they are clearly seen. In other words, that which you could not see, now there's no mistake about it because it is clearly seen. It's not this deal that Paul talks about later about seeing through a glass darkly and and, and, and all of this stuff, Paul said that there are some attributes of God that now you are able to clearly see being understood. Not only can you see them, but Paul says there's some attributes of God that you can understand simply by things that are made. Now, at some point in, in past teaching, I, I made statements about some of the, the, the nature that God created. You, you can see how detailed God is. You can see how, uh, how, how intricate His, His thinking is. And when you look at, at, at creation and... You know, you look at uh, uh, the the cells in the body. You know, and and how the, the cells have 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 what's called mitoplasma. It has a nucleus. It it has a cell wall. You know, and and some of us were talking after service on on Sunday. You know about uh, things that doctors talk about, things like cholesterol and. And uh, uh, carbohydrates, and you know, and and how that uh, you know they they want you to to cut out cholesterol, and but but the fact of the matter is, if you cut out all cholesterol in your body, you would die because your cell structure would die. Your your the cells of your body, which number in the billions, has to have uh, has 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 to have uh, things like um, uh, carbohydrates and it has to have cholesterol. So if you cut out all your carbohydrates, 
You simply would cease to exist because your body has to have a certain amount of that. Now, when you look at, at nature, you know, the same thing happens in nature. You take the leaves of a tree and, and they're, they're made up of cells and, and, and there, there are places in that tree that stores carbohydrates in, in, in case that, that there are times that that tree doesn't get the nutrients you know, that it needs, it stores carbohydrates. You ever seen a storm come through and, and blow a, a healthy tree over? And, and it blows it over by the roots. The roots come out of the ground. Now what happens to that tree? The leaves on that tree turn brown the next day, don't they? No, they don't. No, they don't. It may be days before those leaves start turning brown. Sometimes it can be a week or longer before those leaves start turning brown. Have you ever wondered why that is? It stores carbohydrates and those leaves are feeding on the stores of carbs in that tree. And when those carbs are depleted, then that leaf will start wilting and turning brown. See, when you, when you look at things like that, it, it, there, there are things, Paul said, of the attributes of God that can clearly be seen and be understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, He said. His eternal power. And his Godhead, and again, that word Godhead simply meaning deity. His eternal power and Godhead, Paul said, can be understood by the things that you see that God has made. Now, when you begin to look at this and look at the intricacies of the human body and look at the, 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 the intricacies of nature, as God has made it, how in the world can you look at that and say that God does not exist? How can anybody in this world, even that, that does not even claim maybe to, to have Christian faith, how can anybody in this world look at these things and say God does not exist? And even furthermore, look at them and say, you know, I believe in evolution. That all of this stuff just came together out of nowhere and out of nothing and began to evolve. And here, here's the result of all of that. How in the world could somebody say anything like that? Brother James? Absolutely. 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 So how, how can you look at the creation of God and, and say that there is no God? Because not only is there evidence in Scripture, but, but Paul is, and, and the psalmist will say as well uh, here in just, in just a moment or two, and even if, even if you take the Word of God out of equation, 
And let's, let's just say, you don't believe that the Bible is the Word of God. It's not the written Word of God. Just take the Scripture out of the equation. Paul, Paul said that there is the witness of nature. To the degree. Now notice this. And at the end of Romans 1 and 20. To the degree that Paul says that they are without excuse. I want you to think about that for a moment. Because here, here's the thing. We, we can take nature for granted. All right? we, 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 we look at nature and we see things and, you know, and, and uh, we see beautiful sights. We see beautiful landscapes. You know, I, I've seen I, I've seen people post you know photos uh, on social media, you know of the uh, of of the evening time and and how that they're you know uh, where they are there are streaks of red in the sky as the sun is setting and they 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 take those pictures and they post them you know for everybody to see or a beautiful sunrise or uh you know certain formations of clouds in, in the sky or, or or a beautiful moon or a beautiful snow-capped mountain and you look at that and say you know that that's really pretty that that's pretty that's that's pretty to look at man that's a beautiful scenery there and and if we're not careful that that's pretty much the extent of it man that really looks good really pretty i've made the statement here recently, I, we're in the time of year, the season of year that I really like personally. Because I, I love the fall. I love the different colors of, of the leaves on the different species of trees that you really don't see in the spring. Even though spring can be pretty, but usually everything that's coming out is some shade of green. You know, but but in the fall, you got the, the browns and you got the copper colors and and you've got the reds and the yellows and 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 the the golden leaves of the of the walnut trees and 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 it's just it, it's just so beautiful and we look at it and say man that is it is really beautiful this time of year but let me tell you something all of those colors and all of things that happen during the different seasons of the year speaks more than just the beauty that you see with the eye. Paul said it speaks of the, the attributes of God, even His eternal power in Godhead, so that there is nobody on the face of this earth that's going to be able to stand before God with the excuse and say, I didn't know God existed. See, that's really what Paul is saying. That, that there is such a witness of the existence of God through the things that He made that you can understand even of His eternal power and His Godhead. Now, I want you to think about the depth of what Paul is saying here. Because here, it, you know, sometimes we can have the attitude and Christians can have the attitude. Well, 
You know, this world don't know anything about the eternal power of God. And they certainly don't know anything about the deity of God. But that's not what Paul says. Paul says through the things that are created, the things that are made, even this world can understand. Again, he says understand. Being understood. There's some things the world can understand about God by simply observing the created things of God to the degree that they know that there is an eternal power and they know that there is a deity that exists somewhere. Now, it's like I've stated. They may not know His name like you and I know His name. They may not know anything about relationship with this God. They may not know anything about the gospel of Jesus Christ. But what they do know is that there is a God that has eternal power and that he is that, that there is a deity that exists somewhere to again to the degree that Paul says that they are without Excuse. Let's look at Acts chapter 14. The, the context here is Paul and Barnabas were at Lystra. And at the preaching of Paul, a lame man was healed. And so the people, when, when they saw this, the people that were present there equated Paul and Barnabas as gods and began to worship them. Luke records their response in Acts chapter 14, 14 through 18. And let's look at it. Luke says, but when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore their clothes and ran in among the multitude, crying out and saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men with the same nature as you and preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and all things that are in them who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, look at verse 17. Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without witness in that he did good, gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness, and with these sayings, they could scarcely restrain the multitudes from sacrificing to them. Now I want you to notice here, what Luke records here is, is Paul and Barnabas. And when, they, he, when the lame man was healed... And, 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 they, and, and the people saw it and they began, they equated them as gods and they began to worship them. Paul and Barnabas didn't, did not 
uh, resort when when they started giving uh, account here to these people. They they didn't resort by telling them. Well, let me tell you something here now. We're we're not gods. We're just men as you are of the same nature. And we preach that you should turn from these useless things to the living God who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all things that are in them. I want you to notice Paul and Barnabas didn't start out by telling these people at Lystra about the, about the existence of this living God and who His name is and, and how to worship Him and how to live for Him and, and how to please Him. They made the appeal to the people at Lystra the, the appeal that everybody would not have a problem giving witness to. And that is the witness of nature. They didn't go back and drag up some Old Testament prophecy about the Messiah coming and all of this kind of stuff. Listen, the people at Lystra would not have understood that. They didn't know anything about the prophecies of old concerning the Messiah and the promised one that that should come. And so Paul took them and Barnabas took them, talked to them about the living God. That God that made what? Heaven, the earth, the sea, and everything that's in there. Now, let me ask you a question. Have you ever thought about talking to people about God and making the appeal of nature as the exist, to, to the existence of God? I say invariably, the vast majority of people have not. See, when, 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 I, when I asked you last week, how do you know God exists? What would you say to somebody if they were to ask you to prove to them that God really exists? What would you say? There's a reason that I ask you that question. Because even in, in the New Testament church, and we just read it, just we just read it, we just read it, you know, where Paul and Barnabas, they didn't go on this big theological discourse of the people at Lystra to try to prove to them the existence of God and the fact that Paul and Barnabas were just simply mere men. They appealed to them through the witness of, of nature. You, you see how easy it is to talk to people about God and the literal existence of God. Well, well now, you know, I believe, I believe they should have talked to them about the Holy Ghost. Now, what they should have done is, is told the people at Lystra that if they didn't believe that God exists, they were going to hell. There was no hope for them. 
None whatsoever. If you don't, in fact, they could have said, well, you bunch of fools. Scripture said the fool has said in his heart that there is no God. But I think it quite ironic that in the early beginnings of the church age, that Paul and Barnabas did not go out on this pull up some esoteric doctrine, try to prove to these people at Lystra of the existence of God and who His name is and how to come into communication or, or relationship with God. They, they simply talked to them about the living God that made the heavens, that made the earth, that made the sea. And that made everything that exists in, in them. That is the heavens, the earth, and the sea. Who again in bygone generations allowed all nations, they said, to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, God did not leave them without witness. Now here again, here again, they're going to appeal to the nature of God and the power of God, not by talking about, you know, Jesus sitting on the right hand of God. He's ascended unto the throne of heavens. They, they simply carried out their appeal by saying in that He did good. He did good. He gave us rain from heaven. See, they're talking about the goodness of God from the appeal of nature. He gave us rain from heaven. He gave us fruitful seasons. He's filled our hearts with food and gladness. And even with all of this, Luke said, that they could scarcely restrain the multitude from sacrificing to them. The appeal... Of nature. Because they already believed in God because they, they wanted to worship them as God. They did believe in gods, gods, uh, plural. But David also declares that nature speaks to the existence of God. Psalm 19, verse 1 through 2. Let's look at what he says here. The heavens do what? What, what, what is declare? Make known. Make known. If you declare something, you're proclaiming. You're, you're speaking. What, what he says is the heavens, the heavens speak. They speak the glory of God. And the firmament, talking about the, 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 the earth, the firmament Shows his handiwork. Day unto day does what? It utters speech. And night unto night does what? It does what? It does what? It reveals knowledge. Knowledge of what? Of God. And of the existence of God. 
See, God is, God is so vast. He is so powerful. And, and we'll never understand everything there is to know about God ever, ever. If we lived a thousand lifetimes, we'd never understand everything there is to know about God. Now, you, you don't see this if you live in the city. But have you ever walked out if you were in the country on a clear night and looked up in the heavens and you saw all the stars in the sky? You ever looked at that and, and wondered, you know, how far away that star is? You know, they, they say light travels in what's called light years. It, do you know how fast scientists say a light year is? I mean, if you put a speed to it. Anybody know? If I, if I remember correctly, 185,000 miles per Second. I'm going to tell you something. That's moving on. But when you look up at the stars in the sky and, and, you, and you understand that there are stars up there whose light is just now reaching the earth. It's just now reaching the earth. And it's been up there thousands of years. And it's just now, its light is just now reaching the earth. You can understand then something of the attributes of God. That, that's why when you know things about nature that David said David said the heavens declare the glory of God see when the Lord spoke to Abraham years and years ago and he said Abraham he said I want you to walk out I want you to I want you to walk out of your tent now this is Trevor's translation I want you to walk out of your tent I want you to look up in the, in the starlit sky. And I want you to count the stars of heaven. Now, listen to what God is asking of Abraham. I want you to count the stars of heaven. And if you can count the stars, he said, that, that's, that's how your seed is going to be. Now, don't thank me too frivolous, but here's what I believe personally. I believe Abraham walked out of his tent and looked up in the sky and said, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, four. And it probably wasn't long until Abraham got lost and said, now, that, well, did I count that one earlier? Or I think I've already been, no, that one, I, Lord, I, I can't count the stars in the sky. 
See, God knew that before He told Abraham that. What, what He was telling Abraham is this. You can't count it. You cannot count the stars in the sky. It, it's impossible. I don't care how strong a telescope you may have. You cannot number the stars in the sky. The sand of the sea. The seashore. You, you've, been, you've been on the seashore. You know how the sand is there. You start trying to count the grains of sand. That, that's pure insanity. Because you know absolutely there's no way. But see, this is, what, this is what David is saying. The heavens declare the glory of God. The earth shows His handiwork. Day unto day, or day after day after day after day after day, David said, utter speech. And night unto night reveals knowledge. Now can you understand why Paul, to the church at Rome, would, would be bold enough to write under the inspiration of the Spirit of God that they are without excuse? You see a little bit more? Paul said, there, there is no excuse for not believing in the existence of God. There's too much proof. So in conclusion, if you look toward upward into the sky and observe the handiwork of God, the, the sun, the moon, the stars, the clouds, the constellations, their, their beauty and function declare that there is a creator that made and sustains them. It's one thing to make it all. It's something else to sustain all of that. Because here's what I believe, the, the laws of nature that, that God established when he created nature. Things like, you know, the sun rises in the east and settles in the west. There is never, when, when God made them and gave them their function, there's never a time that God got out of the bed in the morning and said, now son, it's time for you to get up, so get up. No, 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 no. That's the south. You're supposed to get up in the east. And, and you rise and you set in the west. There's never a time that God has had to do that. He sustains them. The word of his power sustains it. So when he set it into motion, it's going to be in motion until he tells it to stop. Amen. So everything that exists gives clear evidence that God exists. The theories of Darwinian evolution have left no stone unturned to prove the evolution of everything in nature and not its creation. However, these theories fail to explain how matter exists at the atomic and even cellular level. The evolutionists simply have no explanation. One writer said, for those who have eyes to see, 
and evaluate the evidence correctly, every leaf on every tree, every blade of grass, every star in the sky, and every other part of creation all cry out continuously, God made me. God made me. God made me. So when you correctly evaluate the evidence, everything in Scripture and nature clearly prove the existence of God. Amen. I'm glad I know that God exists. Amen. I know He is there. I know He exists. Amen. If I didn't have the witness of His Word, I've got the witness of nature because nature utters knowledge, knowledge about God, the character of God, the attributes of God. Amen. Amen.